digging in the dirt. I'm digging in the dirt. This is Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher, where Kevin and his guests dig a little deeper into today's issues surrounding the environment, climate change, farming, gardening, and food. I'm pleased to have as my guest this afternoon, all the way from England, Vicki Hurd. Vicki Hurd is a scientist, head of the Sustainable Farming Campaign for the organization Sustain, the Alliance for Better Food and Farming, which is over 100 nonprofit organizations. She is author of the book, Perfectly Safe to Eat, The Facts on Food. She also is a founder and chair of the Eating Better Alliance in the United Kingdom. She has a master's in pest management and is a fellow of the Royal Entomological Society. And she is also an author of a new book, which is why I invited her here today. The book is entitled Rebugging the Planet, the Remarkable Things that Insects and Other Invertebrates Do and Why We Need to Love Them More. And it's found on Chelsea Green Press. Welcome, Vicki. Let's go right to the title of the book. What do you mean by bugs, referring to bugs, and what is rebugging? Yes, rebugging. It came to me because we've got this whole movement here, wonderful movement called rewilding, which is about allowing large or small areas of land um, to rewild in a natural way. And it, it sort of came to me that we could be thinking about doing small rewilding on our doorstep because we're all surrounded um, all the time by wild animals. They're just very small. Uh, most of us don't spot them or, or realize they're there. So the rebugging was sort of rewilding on a small scale. Um, and by doing that, you're helping the creatures that are there doing their stuff but helping us in so many ways and the bugs when I'm talking about bugs I'm not just talking about insects so the bees and the ants and the flies but all the bugs that help us you know in so many ways um, the slugs the um, earthworms all sorts so it, it's covering a, a large topic in a large part of the planet. Yeah, I hadn't really planned to talk to you about rewilding a little bit because a colleague of mine and me talk about the movement in England it seems to be bigger in England than anywhere. Can you tell everybody, you know, about this? Because I, I know there was one individual who took her whole estate and turned it into, you know, going back to, you know, the way it was naturally. It still was a little controversial, but I think everybody now is sort of embracing it. Can you it's, tell us about yes, it? it's still controversial because it's a use of land which changes it often from being producing food or, or other products from the land to producing far less food, but other what you could call public goods, um, such as restored nature, um, recovered species or recovered ponds or river systems. Um, and it is very popular in the UK now. It's still controversial, as I said, because farmers see their role being eroded by the idea of rewilding, but it's actually very um, well advanced in parts of Europe. They've got huge areas of Europe also rewilded. And it means sort of allowing the system to recover by itself. So you're not picking a particular way of doing it. You're just saying, do your thing, nature, see what happens. And what, what is so inspiring about it is that what happens is often very surprising. And for me, it's often the surprising bits are often the bugs that arrive and the bugs that eat, eat the other bugs that you might think of as a pest or the weeds that might take over for one year. But then the um, caterpillars, a particular butterfly, will, will eat all those weeds the next year. So it's not a problem. So it's actually letting nature do its thing. I and mean, sometimes they do introduce a species and in Yellowstone, for instance, you reintroduce wolves and that created a huge change in the ecosystem in a very positive way. And here we can be introducing a particular 
um, ruminant, where you've taken out the intensive farming system completely, but you might reintroduce a native or a rare breed that you know will graze in a particular way um, that may help your system and it may do things you don't understand. So it's quite a, a, a complex thing and it, I think each rewilding site is very different, but it's, it's an exciting and it's inspiring um, approach to getting nature back in all our lives. But I think we could do more by getting it back on our doorsteps. Great. Before we get back to that part of it, I just wanted to touch on the fact this rewilding come out of the Half Earth Project. I've had Paula Ehrlich on here from the Half Earth Project and her, you know, the, the thoughts of E.O. Wilson. Is, did that sort of spring from that? And are, what, are you, what are your thoughts about the Half Earth Project? Half Earth, yes. Um, I think there is a big case for doing a lot of rewilding. Half, I don't know. I mean, we've got a campaign here called 30 by 30, which is trying to get 30% of the land into a good natural state by 2030. And that's a lot of conservation organizations are really pushing for that. I'm very keen on all farms being able to support nature. So that's what we do. We, you know, we think all farms could be really strong in terms of nature and, and um, in environmental protection and water protection, not, not just leaving it to the reserves. Mm -hmm. So back to rebugging. Um, in the book, you say we're headed toward an insectageddon with a rate of insect extinction about eight times faster than the mammals and the birds. Could you uh, help us to understand the problem? Yes, it's a big problem. It's a complex problem. Um, there wasn't one single solution. Um, but the big problem is that if we lose the insects, we're in trouble. Um, if we if we damage further the amount of pollinators that are pollinating our crops and our wild species, which are important for other things in our environment, if we lose the insects that are and the invertebrates that are protecting and nurturing our soils, we won't be able to grow food um, or trees for furniture or clothes. You know, it, you know where you look, wherever you look, invertebrates are really critical for our life support systems on this planet. And so the evidence and the long-term trends that we're seeing of declines in both numbers and diversity in many places, it needs to be verified. You know, we need more research, particularly in the tropics and places where there isn't so much money for research at the moment. We need to know what's really happening, but the scientists are clear there is a crisis and we need to be doing things differently in order to protect the very things that allow us to live on this planet. Mm -hmm. I like when you start the book, you talk about something we've talked about here is that a lot of the people I've had on mentioned that where, where did all the bugs go on your windshield when you go exactly. for a long trip? I mean, it's really true. We used to have it to is. really scrub the windshield and not anymore. And they, yeah. what, what do you attribute that to? Yes, I think it's funny enough, Kevin, that was actually the subtitle of the, the original subtitle of the book. It was Rebugging a planet or how to get the insects back on your windscreen. <laughs> but the publishers decided that it wasn't very appropriate. And also a lot of young people, it wouldn't, they wouldn't relate to that because they haven't seen it. So right. I'm of a certain age that I have do remember that on the windscreen and your lights. Oh man, yes. Yeah. And and some places in Britain, you can still get that as you drive through. If they're particularly organic farms or largely rewilded areas or wild areas, you can still get a bit of that. But I think in, in the US and North America and uh, Europe, there's such intensive farming creating such a, a poor environment for the invertebrates. In rural areas, they're just not around as much as they used to be. They don't, they're not flying, they're not mating, they haven't got all those habitats that they used to have in farms, which were a lot smaller fields, a lot more woods, a lot more messy bits. 
So that's that's one of the reasons the loss of habitat, and there are also problems like climate change exacerbating their their life cycles and their ability to maintain their temperatures, etc. They're such small animals. When you get extremes of temperature, they can really suffer. Yeah, and then the big P word, pesticides, right? Pesticides, exactly. Pesticides are a huge part of the problem. As I said, it's complex. There's lots of issues, but pesticides is a big one. And herbicides, all, all the things, chemicals that are drenching our fields uh, over the last century and a half are really a huge part of um, the reason we have trends going downwards. And they're polluting our soils and they're polluting our rivers in ways that we don't even know about, particularly in the ways that chemicals interact with each other. We really don't have testing regimes on the pesticides that show how a herbicide will react with another herbicide or, or with an insecticide. You know, we don't do that kind of um, synergistic testing. So, you know, there's a lot that's going on we don't know about. And we can be creating environments that are, are really toxic for the um, uh, for the invertebrates. And that also goes to things like pes um, uh, plastics, microplastics. We're filling the rivers and soils with tiny nodules of plastics, which the invertebrates will then ingest instead of plant matter and other things um, and cause problems that way as well. So there's yeah, lots of yeah. pollution. Hmm. And now they're even coating the seeds and putting it in, uh, you know, the fertilizers and stuff, the uh, neonicotinoids. Neonicotinoids. We've actually banned that in, in Europe because um, the evidence is very clear of the harm done to bees, particularly wild bee populations. But we're also seeing evidence of harm to birds and other species. So banning neonicotinoids in field, field use is definitely the way to go um, and also to protect. And they're, they're such effective insecticides those it's uh, not surprising that they're causing harm yeah i mean you, you guys over there seem to be a lot more ahead of america we don't we don't have any of those bands in place at all one of the reasons is something i talk about it near the end of the book which is about the lobbying power of the um, chemical companies you know the lobbying the money that's thrown at governments and individual politicians to weaken or not strengthen rules around pesticide use and authorization and around other things like um, habitat removal and other stuff so they have such power to affect the rules around these things and that's one of the things why i need a lot of people rebugging in terms of their politics not just in terms of what they do in the garden or what <laughs> I they like buy that. yeah uh, well, you know, one of my biggest pet peeves is like neighbors of mine, not all of them, but quite a few people in suburbia in America. I don't know what happens in the UK, but they do wholesale spraying uh, from these big pest control companies. I and, mean, you know, like once a month combined, just spray everything just in case. And then we end up with, uh, you know, I have an organic garden and that's affecting my Awful. pollinators and stuff. Mm. So I'm re it really Awful. sort of bugs mm. me, you know, and it's just a blanket preventive spraying. You know, what do you? How do we push back against that? What do you think about this? I think it's really important to get really active. I mean, that sounds awful. I'm really sorry for you, Kevin. That's horrible. What we do is we have a lot of campaigning groups in, in Europe and in uh, the UK that have campaigned very effectively. And, and there's more and more local authorities that you could have at state level or, or lower to bring in bans on using herbicides, for instance, on a pavement area 
or controls on what chemicals can actually be used. And even in France, they're banning glyphosate for domestic use. Glyphosate is a very, very common herbicide. And obviously it wipes out all the feed plants for your pollinators and uh, wipes out the food source for many soil insects and invertebrates. So, you know, those kind of measures only come about as a result of people demanding it. And so people joining the organizations that are campaigning or actually writing letters to MPs and politicians, all that makes a difference. We need a movement for the bugs. Yeah, I don't doubt it. We're talking to Vicki Hurd, and she is the author of a book called Rebugging the Planet, The Remarkable Things That Insects and Other Invertebrates Do and Why We Need to Love Them More. How do you convince people that it's better to have more bugs stuck to your windshield and, you know, that you, there's a few ants in the yard or if they come in the house, mm-hmm. well, you know, you know, you shouldn't be panicking and just spraying all over the place. I mean, how, do you, how do you change yeah, this no, mindset? Mm-hmm. One of one of the chapters in the book that people have responded to most is the one called Rebugging Your Attitude. Um, And I'm not trying to sort of tell people off, but I think people do need to have a different attitude, particularly when they're talking to children or children that they care for, because that attitude of thinking we've got to wipe them all out, squish them, chemicals. We don't want any invertebrates in this garden or this house or this yard or this schoolroom, all these kind of um, negative attitudes can really rub off on children who initially start off really curious and interested in invertebrates quite rightly because they're amazing and extraordinary in how they look and how they they um their behavior and yet adults can very quickly put the fear of fear into them that they'll get stung or they'll get they're dirty or whatever and the majority of insects this is what i say to people the majority of insects and other bugs are completely harmless even if they might just bite you or sting you, it's, it's mostly harmless, and except in certain situations. In some parts of the world, we do need to control them in, in any way we can. And that will be some chemical control, but also physical controls, keeping the bugs out, for instance, mosquitoes for sleeping and things like that. Some do transmit disease, but the majority of bugs are actually doing a lot of good. They're clearing away our waste, they're cleaning the water, they're pollinating our plants, they're distributing seeds and so on and so forth. So I think that attitude change is really critical. And most people, when I start to talk to them about it, they say, oh, yeah, I tend to lump them all together. Whereas actually we should be really positive about the majority of bugs. And a lot of them are so beautiful. Um, So more people understand that and take photographs and zoom in those photographs. I think they'll like them more. Sure. But a tougher sell would be like um, things that sting you, you know, people don't, you know, people panic right away. Like if you see a wasp nest, what do you do with stuff like that? You know, especially like I've been stung and and blew up and I'm leery around wasps and and things like that. So how do you control that? You know, especially when you're trying to talk somebody into being kinder to the insects because spraying is so detrimental to their existence. Absolutely. Well, I would say, you know, those wasps are doing an awful lot of good. If you don't like flies, then a lot of people don't like flies. They're eating an awful lot of flies and and, um, grubs that might be a pest in your garden. Those wasps have kilograms consumed by their babies in the nest every year. So, you know, if you kill the wasps off, you get the other pests. But um, the other thing is, I mean, people who are allergic to whatever, that they need to be careful and fearful. But they shouldn't automatically instill that fear in others. That's what I'm saying. I, you know, I think be careful in how you talk about the invertebrates in front of others and particularly children. Um, and if you do have a, a risk, if you do get um, an allergic reaction, you need to take action, but have them removed in um, 
kind ways. There are people who will remove um, wasps and bee nests in ways that don't destroy them. They just relocate. And it's important to make sure that we don't kill off all these um, social insects because they do such important work for us in terms of pollination and, and um, pest control. Yeah, I, I, by, by having diff different guests like yourself on my show, I start to change my mo and what i do and things like for instance i i was we were my wife gets bit by mosquitoes i keep her around so they bite her not me and uh, that's a good <laughs> trick yes but i also I mean, the other thing is to keep them out if you're worried about invertebrates in your house although spiders again a wonderful pest control but you know make sure they can't come in close all the holes if, if there's holes or put mm. peppermint uh, oil or other sort of repellent things. So I talk about this in the book, lots of tips about keeping them out and keeping their food source away from them. You know, keep your food, you know, your flour and your biscuits in tin so they don't find a smell that will lead them to your kitchen. And, you know, it's those kind of rules in terms of pest control uh, mm -hmm. rather than chemicals is, is a good way uh, to do it safely. Yeah, you know, because we had so many mosquitoes in the yard, I opted for one of those blue light bug zappers. But after oh, right. talking to Doug Tallamy, I, I was finding that I wasn't getting so many mosquitoes. I was getting moths and stuff. And he kept saying, the moths are so important. You know, you don't understand. We need all these moths to feed the birds, you know. They and are. Absolutely. Yeah. If you uh, love birds, you should love the bugs. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I got rid of the blue zapper too, you know, but I did follow the rules of mosquitoes. You know, you got to get rid of all the extra standing, the standing water. water. Yeah. Get that's the standing water. They can't that lay. changed everything. Brilliant. Brilliant. That's the solution. Mm. Mm -hmm. So what about other things like um, when, you know, like for me, I'm a big tomato gardener. So my mm. scourge would be aphids, you know? Yes. There you need to encourage the aphid um, predators. So the tigers, of your garden are generally the beetles when it comes to aphids so ladybugs um, and other beetles but the ladybug larvae are voracious consumers of aphids and if you provide good habitat for them and overwintering habitat which will include some leaf litter because they uh, overwinter in leaf litter um, and or they overwinter in sort of warm dark spaces uh, depending on which beetles you're talking about and other beetles um, habitat can be a wood pile so all those beetles will be then consuming um, your aphids to possibly a manageable amount. One of the things you also need to do is leave a few aphids, because if you don't have any aphids, you won't have any of the predators and then you'll get an infestation and no predators to eat them. And then there's also physical removal. You know, if, it, if you're not talking about a vast amount of uh, tomato plants, you can do some physical removal or spraying with some um, mild um, eco detergent, you know, um, yeah, soapy stuff. detergent, which mm -hmm. stops them being able to cling. Yeah. So there's lots of like low impact ways of controlling the aphids on your very yeah, you know I, i'll add to that um organic gardeners believe that the stronger the plant is you know, the, the yes. healthier the plant absolutely. less aphids and i tell yeah. you that absolutely happens in my garden yeah absolutely if they've got good strong if you've got great soil you'll probably get great plants and they'll be able to withstand an aphid attack i mm. think you're right yep that's i noticed that for sure um so besides um, pesticides, you, like you said, you, we have soapy, you know, solutions. So is there anything else that people can rely on, like to to get rid of ants, for instance? Or you're you're saying close up the holes, basically. Yes, yes, and I do give some tips in the um, book about things you can put um, around your spaces that might let them in, like peppermint oil, which they don't like, and um, other. Uh, 
full as earth, I think is another one. They don't like the texture and it's fairly harmless. And you can put it around possible entry points around your house if you if you don't want them in. I, I do remember my mother used to pour boiling water onto the ant's nest, which I, you know, I didn't like at the time. I kept ants and it was rather sad, but it's a low impact way if you really can't handle an ant's nest on your garden, which you know is causing problems for you, then I guess doing that, but it's sad. <laughs> it's just sad <laughs> <Sure>. to do it. <laughs> so, you know, you mentioned some earthy. I think you're probably meaning diametaceous earth is what we have I here. I do. Sorry, I, I knew I got that wrong when I was saying it. Diametaceous earth, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I use that sometimes. It works with different things like slugs a lot. So, mm. Yeah, they don't like the texture and the impact on that. Yeah, the things you're hearing about here are from Vicki Hurd in her new book, uh, Rebugging the Planet, The Remarkable Things That Insects and Other Invertebrates Do. So, um, besides like you know turning the uh, kids into you know pro bugs what else pro should bugs. we be doing you know i mean that's that's really where to start you know taking them out on a hike or something and showing Absolutely. them all these crazy Do a bug hunt it doesn't it doesn't even you don't even need to go to wild nature you you know down your road in a little park or a little scrubby bit if you stand still for long enough you'll be able to see something unless it's completely been zapped by your local authority with insecticides but the other thing you really need to think about is what you buy um, and your everyday habits, you know, you know what you waste as well. But in, in food terms, that's such an important impact on the um, invertebrates in the rural areas where your How food so? is grown. Yeah. How so? so? Well, it's in terms of the amount of pesticides that are used on the crop. But critically, it's also about the monocultures. These farms that are producing a vast amount of our food, particularly very low quality junk food, they're producing them in huge areas monocultures where you've just got vast swathes of a single crop of a single genetic variety which requires a lot of chemicals to keep it safe from pests and disease so that exacerbates not only the problem because the invertebrates have lost their habitats because you've lost the hedgerows you've lost the messy bits as i was saying and um the field edges because fields have just got so huge um you also got the chemicals and the fertilizers that are used in those crops to replace what normally would come from the soil but the soil is so overworked worked that you have to apply fertilizers to those crops in huge amounts so all these things are not good for the majority of bugs and they will not be in vast numbers so you won't get them splattered on your windscreen as you go through <laughs> rural areas and you can see the difference if you go into a wilderness area you'll see so many the noise and what you'll see is so distinctly different from a rural area where you'll have unless you're in a you know a really good woodland in a in a rural area it's very hard to to see or hear many bugs because they've just the habitat is is too fragmented and too chemical laced and uh, so all these things make a difference if you're buying from farmers that are doing things differently like they're having more rotations more different crops in in a field smaller field sizes obviously farming organically they're not using um the fertilizer the artificial fertilizers they're building fertility into the soil all these things so if you're buying from organic farmers, if you're buying direct from the farmers, so the farm get, gets more of your food pound, then they can invest more in good farming practices. So it's actually how you buy from farmers, who, which farmers you buy from and what you buy, they all matter. And one of the foods that uses the most land is meat, meat and dairy. And that means that it's having the biggest impact on the invertebrates, because anything that has the biggest impact on the land impacts on the invertebrates and the worms and the pollinators and the bees and etc etc so eating less but better meat is a good mm. way to go as well 
-hmm. try to change your diet and also waste no food. These are critical things for the invertebrates um, in rural areas in farmed land. You know, I, I, this all sounds great, but I, I, I can't but think that this is such a hard sell with a lot of people to go, oh man, I went out there, it was so many damn bugs. You know what I mean? People complain all the time about it being yeah. too buggy. That's why the, yeah, rebugging attitudes is critical. And getting people to understand how important and, and wonderful they are um, is part of the point of the book. And, you know, I'm talking to people uh, a lot of the time about this and uh, trying to get people, and also getting people who do get it to talk to other people who don't. So if you're in a workplace, you could start to talk to people about bugs um, and how important they are just over lunchtime, or even start a bug club in your office where you start to plant um, flowers in pots on your on the driveway or windowsill or on the roof. And you start to get people to say, what earth are you doing? We don't want bugs. You say, well, these bugs are great. So having that conversation, spreading the bug love in your workplace or in school or university, um, all those kind of things will make a difference to the number of people that get interested. And I think the interest is growing. It's one of the reasons I wrote, wrote the book, because I saw in the UK, at least, there is more interest. Oh, more here understanding. too. Yeah, here so, too. Building on that. Yeah, we have the pollinator pathway here, which is building pathways for the, for pollinators up and down Brilliant. the coast. And it's really, a, a, it's being embraced really easily because you can do it in your own yard. It's exactly. you know You don't need Fantastic. permission. Yeah. We've got, we've got that, it's called um, the Bee Lines Project, which Bug Life are doing. And it's B for biodiversity, or B for bugs, or B for bees, depending on what you want, but it's <laughs> Bee Lines. That's brilliant. Creating those corridors they need to travel to repopulate um, an area, to find mates, to find habitats, to lay their eggs and nests. It's really critical to have those corridors, in green corridors that everybody can make in their garden. Yeah. And, you know, it's not just the personal stuff. You know, we can all vote with our dollars. We can vote for politicians that embrace policies Absolutely. like this. But mm. since you've had a lot of experience influencing your own government, mm. what would you say to people about how to get our elected officials to do more about this issue? Yeah, that's a really good question. I've probably tried every trick in the book to influence politicians over the last 30 years. You've been years. busy. <laughs> they, they're busy. They're sometimes distracted by those that want to distract them from what you're trying to do. Um, one of the things we find most useful is getting them on a farm, a good farm, and getting them to understand um, how good farm can really produce food, produce good food, and protect the biodiversity and protect the wildlife. Um, the other thing is to actually go and visit them and show them with the volume of people, the number of people that they all care. So you could, um, for instance, put a, a letter in the local paper or an article in the local paper or on the local radio saying that we're asking our representative to do more for the bugs and we want them to create a bug-friendly city here or bug-friendly friendly town doing X, Y and Z and, and sort of almost challenge them and then go in, in large numbers or write letters if you know in these times of pandemic we don't want to go and visit places to actually write and and just be uh, keep bugging the politicians pun intended <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> yeah and that rebugging your your politics and and how you interact with local politicians or national is is a critical part of it because we can't just do it all on our own it needs it needs government to govern for our benefit and for the benefit of bugs that's what because it's so crucial right now right i mean yeah. it's like there's so much to do we need the help yeah. from the government absolutely and we all love wildlife most of us love wildlife in some form or another and the bugs are a critical part of that sure so if you want to keep some wildlife or some birds singing you need to be getting active on this and mm -hmm. if you can't get politically active do do something with what you buy and you know your clothes as well as your food 
and uh, start to reuse things, not use so much of the planet's resources. Yeah, or change your yard a bit. It's it's really hard to do. I mean, you know, by once again interviewing lots of people, I realized I was taking away the leaves all the time. So now I'm leaving a lot more leaves on leave beds and stuff. Like, yeah, I was doing that. Yeah, I was doing that this weekend. And you can leave some on the lawn, leave some on the beds or on the pots, and break it up with your lawnmower if you have to. But leave a bit on the lawn so the worms can bring it down into the soil and create a really healthy soil on your lawn if, if yeah. you've got a lawn. Yeah, unfortunately, we all do, <laughs> over, especially yes. over here. <laughs> yeah. So what's your take on the possibility of, you? I mean, you're out there on the front lines, you're doing lots in different areas, you know, and writing about this and talking to everybody. What's your take on the possibility of humanity waking up to, to what we're doing to kill off the planet and our other species on the planet? You said that you notice people are very interested in this. Do you think we're going to do this? We're going to survive this? I think... I, I have to keep hopeful because I, I don't know how I'd do my job if I didn't. And I think, as, as I said, what, there are more people that care. And we had the COP26, the climate summit in Glasgow this year, and the amount of people that flood, flooded up there and you know did marching and did events and was celebrating biodiversity and, and good climate action um, with people from the global south, for instance, and places where there's deforestation going on for our food here. You know, we deforest large areas to produce feed for our animals it's a crazy setup um, but there was such a, a strong movement and it's growing every time there's a climate summit or a biodiversity summit it's growing the problem is that the power of the companies that want the status quo and want to keep polluting because they make a lot of money is very strong and so we need to be political as well as I said, you know, doing things in our own lives or in our local parks or with our local authorities. We do need to join these organisations and, and be a movement because I, it, it will be very hard to shift the politician in the right direction because they're getting paid, they're getting wooed, they're getting convinced by the evidence from the industry. And we need to have a counter movement against that and tell politicians we want them to do things differently and praise them when they do. We've been speaking with Vicki Hurd. She's the author of Rebugging the Planet, The Remarkable Things That Insects and Other Invertebrates Do and Why We Need to Love Them. It's on Chelsea Green Press. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been My a pleasure. It it's was great. great. Good, good book. Thank you. I hope people can read it and uh, uh, do what they can, however small, but go large if you can for the bugs. Amen. Digging in the dirt. Digging in the dirt. You've been listening to Digging in the Dirt with Kevin Gallagher. To hear past programs anytime you want, visit the podcast section of WPKN.org or diggingindthedirtradio.com. Digging in the Dirt.